listening to Pulpit Fidelis, a podcast that seeks to encourage, equip, and exhort ministers of the local church to always be faithful to the Word of God. Pulpit Fidelis, always faithful. friends, and welcome to Pulpit Fidelis. I'm your host, Jay Knight, and we're delighted that you have taken the time to join us today and made the decision to come along with us once again for another episode of this podcast. We trust that we're finding you well today, hope everything is going your way, and we are so thankful for you, and we are very much excited for where God's going to take us and where you can come along with us on this journey. Before I get started to get into the episode, I just want to remind everyone about our presence on social media. We want to hear from you, want to connect with you, want to know uh, who you are, and um, very hopefully we want to get into relationships and have opportunities to talk and converse. And so we're on uh, Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're very soon to be on Twitter. Uh, but uh, you can find us on Facebook by looking up the Pulpit Fidelis group page and uh just searching for that, finding that, and uh, adding yourself into that group. We want you to be there. We want you to get in on the conversations, hear about news and updates of what's going on with the podcast as well, as uh, know about some giveaways. Uh, We're also on Instagram, as I said. We want you to uh, join us on there. We post pictures, try to uh, be consistent, also letting you know about some things. And uh, you can find us there very easily. Get on there, follow us, and we would love to see you. Uh, I think I said something about giveaways. I'm pretty sure that I did. I, I Well, I did. I'm talking about giveaways, and I'm very excited to announce that as part of our launch and uh, where we have now entered into the world of the podcast uh, and beginning today, uh, we want to remind you and let you know about our giveaways. For our f- Facebook friends, we've got two opportunities here to give away and uh, so we certainly want you to get a, get on to this, be a part of this. For our Facebook friends on the page, you have a chance to win a copy of Spurgeon's Classic Lectures to My Student. It's just a hallmark book when it comes to ministry, the life of the minister, the personal and public life, as well as his responsibilities, the nuances of what it means to be a minister of the Word of God. It's just a wonderful book. Every pastor preacher should have it. And uh, we're going to be giving that away. And if you want to get in on that, if you want to enter to win, be sure to join the group. And uh, what we're asking you to do is post a screenshot onto the group page itself of a personal post that you add to your own page that is hyping the Pulpit Fidelis podcast. You can feel free to do with that whatever that you wish, however colorful and creative that you want to be. All we're asking you to do is tag a friend or friends that you think would be interested in the podcast and including the hashtag PulpitFidelis. That's all lowercase, hashtag P-U-L-P-I-T-F-I-D-E-L-I-S, PulpitFidelis, hashtag, that's how you enter in. Let us see those screenshots. Help us as we try to spread the word to others so we can uh, get into more homes, get into uh, more lives, and prayerfully be a blessing to many more. When it comes to our Instagram followers, of course, first and foremost, uh, you need to follow us. Get on there, do that. 
just as soon as you can. If you're driving, be sure to pull off the road or get where you're going first. But nonetheless, be be getting on to that. We want you to uh, follow us there so we can get that information out to you and have uh, part of what's going on. You have a chance to win on our Instagram giveaway, uh, our Kent Hughes copy of Disciplines of a Godly Man. Wonderful depth, uh, just a heart book as it comes to what it means to be devoted to Christ in some very practical ways. We're giving that book away, and it's very easy for our Instagram followers to have chance to win that book. All that you have to do is, like I said, you have to like our page, but also post a picture of your church's pulpit. Oh, we're very excited about this. We want to see those pulpits. It doesn't matter what it looks like, big, small. Uh, we want to see those pulpits. That's what this podcast is all about, faithful in the pulpit. So post those pictures and um, be sure if you're uh, in a church, member of church, get permission to do that, but I don't think anyone would have any problem uh, but post pictures of your pulpit, and again, add the hashtag Pulpit Fidelis, lowercase. Uh, add that so that we can find those. We want to see those, and we'll be gathering the names. And on June the 20th, that's the cutoff. That's the deadline. You can enter up to June the 20th of this month. Um, when we have counted the, and, and gotten the names together, uh, we're going to at random, I'm going to ask my wife Katie at random to pick a name from each of the columns, Facebook and Instagram, and we will be announcing the winners on June the 24th in our uh, podcast episode that will drop that day, and we'll also be announcing it on our social media. So there you go. We're the giveaway. Uh, it's nothing, nothing to lose, everything to gain. These books are excellent. We're going to try to do this consistently. Pray for us. We want to uh, keep putting tools into the hands of God's men that teach and preach and uh, we, we, we want to have a wide variety. So this is something we pray will be consistent and we can continue to do this. So get on there and help us with that. And we are so very thankful and we appreciate everything that you do. All right, let's get into our episode today as we consider the theme of Physician, Heal Thyself. The great evangelist George Whitfield once said, Lord Jesus, I am weary in your work, but not of your work. Does that ring any bells in your heart today as you uh, think and consider what it is to be weary? As Paul commanded us against being weary and well-doing, it is true that oftentimes the weariness comes regardless of our attempts to stem it or to stop it. We've been told that uh, the pastor should never show any signs of weakness. He should never, uh, he should never reveal himself to be weary or frustrated or anxious. But I wonder, is there anyone that's listening today that may feel, at least in in the the truth of their hearts, in the quiet place when they're alone, just to themselves, you feel as if that weariness has come, that um, tiredness, the fatigue, has come. What we have to realize, and what must be open and and we must be honest about the truth that these pressures, these spiritual, physical, and mental pressures that lay upon the man of God, it does exact its price. Living on that line that I, I like to call the line between the now and the not yet, living on that line, rewarding as it is, it is most certainly tiring. This episode is not about trying to find pity in the lives uh, and the ears of others but it's also not about grumbling or complaining. We certainly know that those are born of a spirit of ingratitude. While all of us who are faithful to the Word of God, we know that there is 
Um, nothing in us or through us but what hasn't been given by grace, and we should be thankful for that. We are thankful for that. But we need to realize the truth, and we can't ignore it, that pastors and preachers and leaders in the church get tired because they are, and we are, after all, just uh, men of clay. We're, we're weak. We're made in weakness. We're, uh, we're, we're born into a life of constant inability. And we often feel the pull, the heaviness of that mortal coil as we are being drawn by that calling that pulls us in the midst of this world and the earth that we live in and the existence that we have. It pulls us in an eternal direction. I know that many people, especially those cynical people that are in churches today, they think, well, if that's the way you feel as a preacher, hey, just get over it. Uh, you know, just just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're a preacher. This this ought not be the case, but it is the case, and I'm of the persuasion that it is not cowardly and it is not a sign of weakness for a man of God to openly and in, in light of God's own presence admit those uh, inabilities and those places where weariness comes. Fatigue in ministry, we all know this to be true, is one of the leading causes of pastoral burnout. And uh, the, the high rates of resignation, especially uh, in the past year and a half, uh, exhaustion and frustration have taken over the lives of many of God's men. This is due to continual labor and few outlets. And also, not only in the physical realm, but in the constant mental world of being reminded of all that is to be done, all that must be required, compound this Multiply this when you think of a singular minister, perhaps without a staff, without uh, without all the uh, the trappings and resources of larger churches. We're getting into territory of of where we live, getting down where the rubber meets the road. I think of it somewhat like when a home is destroyed by fire. The family has made it out; they're safe, but yet they look at the rubble and the ash, and they have that "what now" moment. That's how some of us most certainly have to feel and would understand, especially looking back on a worldwide pandemic that none of us were prepared for. But to think always, not only is it that there is a, a large, looming pandemic that has taken hold, that has left its mark, but also understanding that we have to keep going and that there are other tragedies that will come. There are other issues that will be faced day by day, perhaps many within a day depending on the situation that you're in. We, we feel that range of emotions. We're looking on. Uh, though we have so much to be thankful for, there's so much gratitude that ought to define our lives, we realize that the truth of the matter is it just doesn't seem to be a stopping place. There just doesn't seem to be an end to the long track of all the responsibilities that must be accomplished. Always rebuilding to be done. Always uh, restoration at work as we're considering what we're doing and in, in being a part of the lives of our flock. Now, if you have made the conscious decision to isolate yourself from your people, to live in an ivory palace way far above where they are, then I would imagine that your life must be somewhat easier. You can ignore, you can look past issues that um, you, you do not even perceive to be real in the lives of your people. But the truth of the matter is, most honest pastors, all honest pastors, understand that that's just not possible. To be a part of the work of God in the midst of our flock, we must know where they are, and we are men as they are. 
And in many ways, we face the same sorts of struggles, uh, or, or at least we face the same emotional toils, though our struggles are different. We do face the same realities of being human, having weakness that must be dealt with. And so we, we know that there's a continual, a consistent barrage that falls upon us. COVID-19, of course, and what a day it will be when we'll no longer hear those words, but the pandemic was a whirlwind of pain, misery, destruction. All of us, whether we'd admit it or not, have been touched by the devastation left in its wake. We've seen loved ones who have died as a result of uh, this plague. We, we've seen those who have been affected. Families have been divided, both figuratively and literally. Churches have been rocked to the very core of what they believe and where they stand in regards to decisions that must have been made. People have been put out of work. Um, a government has been left reeling. There, there are so many nuances and, and, and complexities when it comes to how the status quo of what we once knew has been disruptive. But I would say, and I, I believe that in the conversations I have often, this is coming more and more into the conversation, it does reveal some things. COVID-19, for all of its negative, of course, God is always sovereign, and there are, there are revelations that were made. And it may seem as though some of us, when we look back to 2019, the early days of 2020, you know, a lot of us felt safe. Of course, we all had our, our issues. There were things that were going on. But ministers, Christians generally, there may have been in, in many lives this sense of comfort uh, that though there are things we have to face, there are issues that we must deal with, we came to a position, maybe things are okay. Maybe we've reached a, a good place. And yet here comes, just in the first few months of the year, a, a devastating, tragic firestorm. And the church uh, was, and still is, at the center of much of the destruction. Of course, we all understand that as pastors, we've seen some come, seen some go. That's been true for years. But a, a pandemic has done more to reveal the uh, the faithfulness and the integrity of, of, of believers between so-called believers than hardly anything we've ever seen before because some just need a blast of pressure to reveal what's truly on the inside. It's challenged us as pastors, and challenge is good. It means progress, it means growth, but it hasn't come without its share of pain and its share of perplexity and confusion. We need to understand that it's only been the grace of God that has kept us as far as we have come. We do not need to measure ourselves either by those that we feel are better uh, or are of, of higher degree than us, or we do not need to measure ourselves by those who have uh, have fallen by the way. We need to be honest, and, and we need to recognize that we too could have gone that way, as often has been said, but for the grace of God, so go I. But we also don't need to become so inundated with that feeling of disappointment that we forget that we are ultimately the church that we serve, that we our members of that we fight alongside is ultimately anchored, anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm talking to you today in a, in a desire with a, with a hope and a prayer that if you are experiencing that weariness, that you have felt the overwhelming fatigue that has left you in many ways feeling almost helpless 
and beyond hope. I, I want you to know that God is not wasting this moment of weakness. God never wastes a trial. God never sends trials for no use, nor does He do empty things or, or ignore us in the midst of our trials. He is a faithful God, always at work, magnifying Himself to us and through us and conforming us to the image of His own precious Son. We, we need to be reminded that God's integrity is our mainstay, though we feel as if we are no longer together. We are no longer complete or whole. We are in Him. And what God believes and thinks about it and how God calculates the matter is more important than how we feel. That's a very important and dangerous word, feel. Speaking of emotion, the most shallow part of the human being. I want to paraphrase a journal entry that I heard recently written by the great pastor John Newton. We all know him most famously as the author of Amazing Grace, but what so many do not know is that John Newton was a pastor and a pastor's heart, and he was faithful to the ministry. But here's what he said one Lord's Day after having preached. He said, I feel cold, and I often do, but today the Lord allowed me to speak for him. Now that's paraphrasing, but that's the spirit of the statement that was made. Friend, we're always fighting this uh, struggle to reach the emotional high. We, we know the addictiveness. We know the pleasure of feeling the emotion, of, of sensing the electricity of the moment. But what we also need to remember is that our calling is valid, and it is true, and it is real, no matter how we feel. And how many of us could say like Newton, I feel cold. And this is often how I feel. Maybe most of the time. Now that's not going to uh, compute with the average idea of Christianity. No, you have to be up. You have to be happy. You have to be ecstatic. Things are great. You're great. I'm great. That's not the idea of the average Christian life though. That doesn't, doesn't meet us where we live. Newton says, and, and here is a godly man. Without question, a godly man. He says, I feel this coldness. And it is a defining coldness. I am often cold. Is, is how I would feel. It's how I, I often do feel. It's not our emotion or lack thereof that dictates the blessing of God in our lives. He is God no matter how we feel. Our calling to preach is in season and out of season. In winter when it's cold and it's lifeless around, or in spring when things are blossoming and seems to be beauty and warmth again, or, or in the summer when the drought hits and there's the dry spells of life, or in uh, the, 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 the fall when that which we have, uh, we have been reaping, we, we've seen when we've been planting that which we've been reaping, we preach the word no matter the day that we find ourselves because Christ is worthy. And our flock requires that consistency in our care and devotion to them. Physician, heal thyself. This phrase originates in Luke 4.23 as our Lord is speaking. And in the context of what he is saying, there is a sense of petulance and disdain in the words that are spoken because they're spoken against him from his brethren, his kinsmen in Nazareth. 
they were very derogatory in their attitude as they approached the Lord Jesus. And they would say with a very, uh, with a very arrogant smirk, Physician, heal thyself, um, in a very mocking and derisive tone. Later, this phrase was taken in, in its Latin form, medice cur te ipsum. It, meant, uh, it became a maxim of, of sorts, calling for the one who knows about cures and medicines, the physician, to remember to take his own medicine, to be careful always to give to himself what he would give to others. And it shows up in this form, in a very famous Greek play where the, the character Prometheus says, Like an unskilled doctor fallen ill, you lose heart and cannot discover by which remedies to cure your own disease. Much later we'll find that uh, same idea, physician heal thyself, appearing in Aesop's fables and used in that context to teach against hypocrisy. Nonetheless, it has become in the popular vernacular a way to say that the one who is ministering the one who is serving ought well ought to well know how to be served or how to take from their own medicinal supply. For our purposes, I would say that this is a wake-up call. For every minister who stands and serves faithfully, the same spiritual platitudes that we are faithfully preaching and teaching to our people about the gospel and the rest and peace found in Christ must first be heard and received into our own hearts before we can ever pour it out into the lives of others. May we never be guilty of teaching and preaching truth that has not first come to life in us. So with that in mind, I want to bring to your attention two major points that I pray will lead your thoughts to your own need of healing, as you know about your responsibility to do a healing work by the grace of God in the lives of others first, the pastor must be pastored. Have you ever wondered, as you look at a maybe an older pastor, more seasoned, who has been in the ministry for a longer time? You ever look at him and you see that you know he's he's faithful to the work. He takes upon himself great responsibility. He keeps the roads hot. He's always, it seems, at the business of preaching or preparing or serving. And, and maybe the question has come to your mind. Who pastors that pastor? Who, who invests in the one who invests in the flock? I'd say just at the onset of this statement that for those who may feel themselves too high or too great or too learned to be pastored, to be taught, that reveals within you a sense of immaturity that must be dealt with. The preacher needs preaching. The wells of the preacher's soul need constant maintenance and refilling because if we don't, we'll give until there's nothing left. And in our dryness, in that drought, we will become cynical perhaps. We'll become isolated and inward. Or we, on the other extreme, may become more reliant on the works of others to supplement what we ourselves will not do. We'll be passing along things that we have not partaken of. Paul David Tripp, who's one of my favorite authors as it comes to ministry, leadership. He's written two excellent books that I that I commend to you as, as a minister. Maybe one day we'll do a giveaway. We'll include one of these books. Two great books. Uh, Dangerous Calling is one. Lead is the other. We'll just, uh, we'll just recommend those very highly. But he makes this statement. 
Pastors develop habits that are spiritually dangerous. They're content with a devotional life that either doesn't exist or is constantly kidnapped by preparation. They're comfortable with living outside of or above the body of Christ. They're quick to minister, but not very open to being ministered to. They've long since quit seeing themselves with accuracy and so tend not to receive well the loving confrontation of others. They tend to carry this unique category home with them and are less than humble and patient with their families. You are most loving, patient, kind, and gracious when you are aware that there is no truth that you could give to another that you don't desperately need yourself. You are most humble and gentle when you think that the person you are ministering to is more like you than unlike you. Nothing will have us crying vanity of vanities faster than a, than a steadily drying spiritual well. All of us love to sermonize. I'm as guilty as any. I find it an almost impossible habit to break. We want to make a sermon out of everything. But the Word of God is not primarily our encyclopedia for sermon insights or illustration. It is the lifeline, the vital, crucial lifeline to the waters of everlasting life. It is the nourishment that so many times we are too blind to even know that we need. And when we will not drink of those wells to fill our own souls, we are going to be of no use because of the dehydration, because of the withered spirit that we carry within ourselves. And we may try to cover this, friend, but God knows. And it will make itself apparent in other ways, and it will become a dangerous problem. So with, with these, these ideas now running in our minds concerning what it is to take in as a preacher, let me make some statements here. First of all, the chief shepherd must be your shepherd. How many times have we felt that cool breeze for our soul as we read Psalm 23? Isn't that a beautiful psalm? It's one of the, it's one of the diamonds that we find, not only in the psalms but in the Word of God. How often do we actually live there? As much as we read it, as much as we enjoy it, how often do we dwell in those places? If we're to be any good to the flock, we need to know the shepherd personally, intimately. Not that we have a passing knowledge, but that we have a progressive knowledge, more uh, and more devoted and loving and intimate. If we're ever going to tell our people what it is to be guided and fed and nurtured and disciplined and blessed by the great shepherd, our people need to get a sense from us what the grass and the water taste like because we have ate in his field and we have drank from his still-moving streams. Secondly, there must be accountability and trust and faithful advisors and friends. Again, and I've said this before, and I believe it, one of the greatest tragedies in modern ministry is that there are amongst the ministry world venomous individuals who would take information from another minister, often, uh, often confidential, sensitive information, or, or that would twist and pervert things so that they might exalt themselves or meet some aim that they're after. The very fact that we even have to speak about that sort of situation is one of the great pains that I feel in my heart, one of the great disappointments. But it is real. We need to acknowledge that. There's a no more competitive and jealous world to be found anywhere 
than in the ministry world. But by the grace of God, I know this to be true, there does exist areas, and all these are like an oasis, areas where men within our very context, some who are ahead of us, some who are right where we are, some who are behind us, but men who are knowledgeable of where we are, are there. And we must be intentional to build and construct and maintain these abiding friendships. This may be few and far between. This may be a rare occurrence, especially if you live in a sense of distrust. But may we be open, never afraid to learn something from another, to search out places of fellowship where we might uh, where, where we might uh, rub against each other in that iron, sharpening the iron. Most of us young men do not have to look very far. Truth of the matter is that most of us who are young ministers, we have a pastor. Maybe you have gone and pastored your own church now, but you still, you have that, uh, that vital connection to the man of God that uh, once uh, had you there amongst his flock, but still is such a friend and confidant. Thank God for mine. Or, or perhaps you're part of his church. You're still there, and you're learning from him. Never, never get to a place where you feel that that is not a necessity for you. Utilize the gifts you have right at your disposal. Look for these men. Build safeguards of accountability from these men. Let them challenge you. They don't have to be preachers. They, they can be some godly deacons, some godly church members, Sunday school teachers. But be open to listen and receive instruction for what others have to say. I'd add this as well. I, I, I know this to be true in my own life. Some of the greatest voices of encouragement that I hear are bound in cloth and paper. I often say this, most of my best friends are all dead. But we still hang out. Now, imagine going into a, a room of crowded, a crowded room of strangers and making that statement. You'd get a lot of odd looks. But you understand what I'm saying. You know where I'm coming from. Ministers, especially, know what I'm what I'm driving at. I have wept. I've laughed, listening to the written voice of Mr. Spurgeon. I've been humbled. I've been driven to worship when I, I've read about the the wonderfully beautiful writings and sermons of Mr. Edwards. I have felt my brain and heart stretch to its limits in, in, in deep theology. Mr. Calvin does that. Mr. Voss, Mr. Bavink, Mr. Sproul, Mr. Gerstner, uh, Mr. Machen. They, they do that for me. I felt the fires of, of personal evangelism warmed in my heart to the stories uh, of the biographies and the journals of George Whitfield and uh, of, of D.L. Moody, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, men of their ilk. The tenants, the Puritans, oh, the Puritans. Thank God for them. You, you understand where I'm going. Books are as important to a preacher as furniture is important to a house. Don't read so that you can become intellectually superior and you can say you've read more than another. You can make quotes at a drop of a hat. Read to feed your soul as the Word of God through these writings become, becomes clear. It's explained. It's defined. It's supported. It's It's given a prominent place, and it is imparted into your personal life. So pastor, minister, you must be willing to be ministered to. Secondly, the pastor must be intentional about outlets of rest. Speaking of Spurgeon, listen to the sage advice he gives. It is wisdom to take occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. 
on, on, on forever without recreation may suit spirits emancipated from this heavy clay. But while we are in this tabernacle, we must every now and then cry halt and serve the Lord by holy inaction and consecrated leisure. Let no tender conscience doubt the lawfulness of going out of the harness for a while. But learn from the experience of others the necessity and duty of taking timely rest. Rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. The truth is that this pattern we find within the Word of God from the very beginning of Sabbath rest is there for a purpose. God implants it into the very DNA of creation. He is reminding us in those uh, those purposes that He is God and we are not. That Though He is a God, it says that the Lord rested. Never, uh, never mean that, or never understand that to mean that God rested out of weakness. God rested out of satisfaction, and so it also carries the idea that when we rest, there is a sense of peace. There is a sense of wholeness that comes with it. This is not only true of the Lord's day, which now we know Sunday, the, the Lord's Sabbath, but of specific times and intentional patterns that we we take from the uh, from the the long standing vacation or, or to the few to the, the few days away or to the few moments apart we begin to learn that this world that uh, that God owns and that he that he that he is uh, ruling and reigning they can go on without us this is not a license for us to be slothful or lazy in fact i'm of the mind that uh, sloth will be way more exhausting than godly rest whatever be D.A. Carson writes, We are whole, complicated beings. Our physical existence is tied to our spiritual well-being, to our mental outlook, to our relationship with others, including our relationship with God. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. I'm certainly not denying that there may be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates that you get the sleep your body needs. Resting says to us and to others, Remember that we should preach to ourselves per those great insights Martin Lloyd-Jones once gave concerning preaching and speaking to ourselves. God is in control. The final story has been written. His glory will be magnified. His purposes will be met. All will be fulfilled. It's an outward expression of this inward contentment that exists like an undercurrent deep down in our souls that is saying to us, God is God, I am His, and I am required to entrust my life to Him. If you do not come apart, someone well said, you will come apart. Exhaustion will come not only by physical activity, but by deepening ruts of an overactive mind. Sometimes that's far more exhausting than physical labor. This is why such emphasis in the Word of God is placed on this battle that we find for the mind. For instance, the psalmist speaks about cleansing the, the ruts of the mind. He says, how are we going to do that? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. We think about Paul in the New Testament as he speaks about the battle for the mind, the battlefield of the mental. He says, think on these things, these righteous things, these things that do not cause trepidation, these things do not bring about enticements to sin, nor do they put our, our minds to thinking about worries and fears and anxieties. He says, think on those righteous, those pleasing things. We can easily become so oppressed by our own minds, or our own worst enemy being that which dwells within our psyche. We must die to those infectious lines of thinking and worry. We need to see that as idols 
that carry us away from resting in Christ. We need to put them beneath us as we rise ever further in our faith towards God, as we commit our way to Him, as we trust in Him, as we depend on Him, and we find that sense of peace. Pastor, preacher, elder, we are unprepared to be faithful in the pulpit if we are not consistently resting in Christ. This means that we are receiving for ourselves and to ourselves the very same truths of the gospel that we're preaching to others, but also that we're seeking times when we can literally be saturated with these truths as we meditate, as we think on the good things, as we enjoy the blessings of God. We come apart, we take time away, we relax, we, we recenter our energies. You can't imagine what these things will accomplish in your family, in your home, in your church, and in the world that you live in, and ultimately for the glory of God. Physician, heal thyself. But more than that, may God heal the brokenness, the wounds, the weariness that we all feel. And what a physician we have. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again next time. May God bless you.